One person on, on Twitter, after I wrote my apology, uh, wrote, replied to me and said, oh, and this time I mean it. And I'm like, wow, Twitter is for people in the... Um, <laughs> Hi, Angela. Um, <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 49 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. Uh, this week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello again. We also have David Brady. Howdy, howdy. Uh, James Edward Gray. I'm back. Josh Susser. Hey, hello from sunny San Francisco. I'm Charles Maxwood from Teach Me to Code, and this week we have a special guest rogue, and that is Angela Harms. Hello. Hey, Angela. Angela. You're pretty new to our audience. You want to tell us a little about yourself, who you are, what you're about? I am, uh, let's see, I make software on a team in at Lean Dog in Cleveland. Used to be on a boat, but now I'm at an airport temporarily. Wait, I'm at an airport with... permanently, or are you traveling? No, no. <laughs> so we have a boat. People might know that, and it's being renovated. You, so we have... you, you said this a couple of times. You have a boat? Like, you guys like own like a houseboat on the river or something? Oh, you didn't know that? Okay, so Lean Dog, yeah. Lean Dog's offices are on a boat. That is just true. So when you have to work hard to keep your business afloat, you're really... Is your theme song... Is your... Is your theme song that clip from Saturday Night Live? Well, when I what clip? The one is there the, like I'm a, on a I'm on a boat. I'm on a boat. I'm on a yeah boat? yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, you just censored yourself. What? I did. I did. Uh, yeah, like the first week I worked at Lean Dog, I couldn't stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyway, it's a cool place. We have a lot of fun. So, do you ever have to apply a patch to your office? <laughs> <Ouch>. <laughs> Well, they're doing a lot of work right now to make sure it doesn't sink. So, okay. Lean Dog's a pretty big consultancy, right? How many people there? I guess 30. Um, we have a software studio, which has, I don't know, half of those people maybe. And then uh, also a consultancy. Do, do, do you do web development or some other kind of development? All kinds. My team is working on a, an Android app, which is not as cool as it might sound. <laughs> <laughs> Droid. <laughs> Having done really Android development, it, it really isn't. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, if we could work on real Androids, that would be fun. Oh, there that you go. Would be, although I wonder if it would be even harder to test. Commander data, right there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, so besides Lean Dog, what what else? I, I mean, you came and talked to uh, Mountain West Ruby Conference. At least I was there. You talked about pairing. Are there any other areas of interest that you have or other things that you're, you work on? Okay. So I'm, I'm pretty much obsessed with collaboration and with, well, you know, to be blunt, I'm pretty much obsessed with love. I set out to find out whether all the, um, I don't know, calendar quotes and platitudes were true or if they were just crap. And I decided after years of study that they were true and love has immense power to change the world. And so I decided to pursue it without compromise. And that's how I ended up in the agile world, which is kind of weird. Cool. Okay. Okay. So <laughs> that is, I'm like, I, I don't know how to follow that up. Yeah, we were all confused there because actually, I gotta, I gotta tell the story because it's hilarious. When I was doing uh, Red Dirt RubyConf, I wanted to come up with an activity to get everybody to socialize with each other. So for the first one, we uh, MD5 your name and put the first few numbers, uh, numbers and letters on it. Uh, you know, on your um, 
name tag. And then um, we gave everybody cards in their, you know, like check-in packets with numbers and letters on them. And then you had to trade and get the, get your own hash. And then once you had your own hash, you could, that was how you won prizes and stuff. And so we did it that way to get, you know, programmers to communicate with each other. And the best part of being the organizer of this conference is I got to watch the ensuing melee, you know. And it's amazing because, you know, people would come up to the table and they're like, you got any Fs? And they would be like, no, or yeah, or whatever, you know. And then they would they would have this exchange, trade some cards. And then sometimes they would get caught by like this twinge of, oh, yeah, I'm socializing. And they might say something like, by the way, my name's Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Something like that. So, so I guess my question, and there's, there's a point to this, I, I think. I guess my question is why communication and programming, right? I mean, we're, we're all supposed to have Asperger's. Have you not got the memo or? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I have my own little series of diagnoses. So, um, yeah, but Asperger's doesn't mean you don't have feelings or connect with people. I see. If, if we all have Asperger's, who cares if she has Asperger's? Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> Point. So why programming and uh, communication? Yeah. Yeah. Programming because, you know, the same reason anybody else does it because you can't not, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I like her. That right. was the best description <laughs> ever. <laughs> you just described all of my faults in like one sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my kids said, you know, maybe I'll become a programmer. That seems like a pretty good job. And I was like, hon, you know, that's great if you love it. But if you don't love it, you're not going to be happy, right? Like mm-hmm. programming, you do it because that's what you have to do. It's not mm-hmm. It's not like, um, what should I go to school for? Let's see. Oh, I know, programming, mm-hmm. right? That would yeah. be a, like a nightmare career. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, well, I tell you people, everybody you have to work with. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people I like programming because it's a people job. Yeah, it is. Ooh, wow. that's that's mind blowing. Yeah, <laughs> we're we're pretty far off the map now, and I, I'm yeah. shocked that nobody realizes this. It's. <laughs> It, so to paraphrase an old music joke, I told my dad I wanted to be a programmer when I grew up, and he said, "No, son, you can't have it both ways." Well, well, I, I think as in most things, the uh, hard part about programming is dealing with people. The great thing about computers is. When you tell a computer to do something, it does it. And when you tell it to do the same thing again, it does the same thing. Oh, you have a different model computer than I do. (laughs) (laughs) You you might want to upgrade, James. (laughs) So in 1990, I left IT. I left programming because uh, it was hell. And um, the suit who had been assigned to supervise me said, you have no choice. And I was like, oh, thank you for saying that. I do have a choice. I'm leaving now. (laughs) And I quit like for, you know, a long time, decades, almost. You know, you know, that's actually uh, really interesting. I just got done reading this old science studies. I think I think it took place back in the 60s. And it was the one it's pretty famous where they were they had the subject in there and the subject was actually an actor. But they um, they thought they were shocking them, you know, and that actor would like cry out like he had been shocked. And then eventually he would just kind of start mumbling and then stop making noises so they'd think they, like, knocked him out, you know? And the, and the person doing the study was sitting there trying to get the subject to keep shocking him. And uh, an interesting thing you just pointed out is um, the number one thing that would get people to stop is telling them they have no choice. 
apparently that kicks in some kind of thing in our brain like, wait, that's not true. Yes, I do. That is awesome. I had no idea that was true of other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's actually true of all humans. About pretty much the quickest way to get a human to stop doing something is tell them they don't have a choice. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why salesmen all often offer you two bad choices. Because we are compelled to choose. Well, well, I mean, if you think that you have a choice, then I mean, you think you can actually, you know, play the game into your own benefit or something like that. But if it's yeah. like, well, this is the only choice you have, you're like, ah, oh, screw that. Yeah. So anyway, you you were saying. So, sorry, I yeah, I didn't mean to be right. yeah. I left IT because it sucked so bad, and then I discovered Agile, and um, you know, Agile the way it was described to me, not you know, you know, there. Are, yeah, never mind that. Okay, so there's <laughs> real then there's, you know, as, as it's practiced. But um Oh, I'm glad we're going to get into this. It was like a yeah. whole different, you know, a whole different world. It was just so beautiful. Ken Beck's book, XP Explained. Have you guys read it? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't actually. I haven't read that particular one. No. If you haven't read it, you should read it. it I mean, it made me cry. It was so beautiful. It was like a, an entirely different vision of how this can work. You know, I mean, I actually did not program for like 10 years because it was so painful. Wow. The way IT worked. And I was just like, I'm not going to do it. Wow. So, I, I, took, I, I, took, I took a break from, from development for a couple of years, too. It just got to be pretty dreadful and... I didn't like the way things were going in projects. And so I, I, I'm right with you. I, I didn't take off for 10 years, but. Uh, <laughs> well, you didn't have TVs to produce. What, I had what, what did you do on the side? I manufactured human beings. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Mm. <laughs> and that process is very complicated, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but if you break it up into short iterations, it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I have the most amazing bunch of kids. It's it's just how many children do you have? Four. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Did you do like a retrospective in between each one? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I missed the whole agile thing. I disappeared and let people with more uh, intestinal fortitude than me um, create a new world of of IT. Wow. I have intense gratitude to people like, you know, Ron Jeffries and Bob Martin and Kent Beck, mm-hmm. who, you know, who had the, okay, can I say, am I allowed to say, Go ahead. who had the ovaries to, we, um, we, we prefer cojones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to make this happen. I'm just, I just can't believe that they did it. And I'm so grateful. So you, you left during the dark times and you came back <laughs> during the golden age. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder. So, so I'm a little curious and and I think this will get into some of the discussion that that we should have about this, but, uh, you know, a lot of people have different ideas about agile. I think most people, if they aren't really schooled in what it means, they, they just think it's whatever methodology they're following. So that's XP or scrum or whatever. Um, you know, we have the agile manifesto, but what, what exactly does agile mean for you? Agile means the courage to look at reality head on uh, without a bunch of blame and, and uh, you know, angst around it and to adapt as you discover things about the world. Mm-hmm. Um, flexibility, open heartedness, um, constant improvement, uh, listening to each other, making things better all the time because of doing those things. Right. So uh, Wait, you don't you don't use get blame. <laughs> <laughs> no, you use give give blames. Yeah, yeah, you can alias that, can't you? <laughs> Probably. Get isn't it get? Doesn't it also work as get praise? No, that's I, yes. I, it. Actually, do, I I don't think it works in get. It it works in subversion. Yeah, yeah. subversion has it both ways. It has an SVN praise as an S- alias, and when they moved over to get, they realized nobody uses the praise thing. Why bother porting it? 
So, mm. so SVM praise, praise is that like subverting praise? Praise mm-hmm. is Pretty a much. lot like blame. It's a judgment about somebody. Yes. And I think what I really want is get discover, so I can find out what happened and we can talk about it and and uh, solve it. So I want that really, command too. That's it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Please tell me what happened here. Get WTF. Yes, that's what I want. <laughs> right. So that's actually a really good point you just made there. Um, so what you're saying is that even when we when we praise somebody, that's also a form of manipulation, right? It is, and it's also sort of setting ourselves up as the judger of what's good and bad, right? Right. Um, with my kids, you know, I, I don't I want them to know whether they're happy with what they've done, whether it's in keeping with their own values. I don't want them to know whether it's in keeping with my values necessarily. Mm. Or if I do, I'll I'll tell you. You know, mm-hmm. I like what you did. Do you like what you did? Right. It's not it's not that I'm the arbiter of all things right and wrong. And you call yourself a software engineer? Really? I know she's missing all the key parts, right? She's yeah, geez. Guys, I don't think she has Asperger's. Uh, Did you say you don't think I have Asperger's? I don't think you have Asperger's. No, I can tell you stories. (laughs) How about how about start with one? Start with one story? story. A good story, yeah. Uh, I don't think I have any good Asperger stories. I have really painful <laughs> stories. I knew it! Aha! <laughs> painful! Painful Asperger stories. You don't want to hear them. Didn't we bring up, uh, you're talking about like, you know, not saying, not saying this is good, but saying, you know, I think this is good. What do you think? Didn't we talk about E-Prime at least once before on this, on this show? I don't remember. Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's it's basically just a mode of speech where you where you don't uh, what is it? You don't use the does not allow conjugations of to be. You know, for example, the sentence the film was good could translate into E prime as I liked the film or as the film made me laugh. Uh, that's from Wikipedia. Right. You don't use is or to be or whatever. Um, and that's so the language is um, OK. They, they talk about it like it's a language, but it's really a different way of thinking. And it's a way of using your language to modify your thinking. So if you're saying the film was good, you're making an assertion about the reality of the universe, right? That was a good film, as though that could be measured, which it right. can't, right? It only comes out of your own. It doesn't come from any, you know, objective reality. So E-Prime encourages you to talk about what you actually have access to, which wow. is your own feelings, your own observations, um, and not so much to try to put those things on the universe as some sort of reality that then you can argue so, about. So E-prime is basically an attempt to take the Sapper-Whorf hypothesis and say, instead of Sapper-Whorf is something that happens to you, it's something that you can use to happen to other people. I don't know what that thing is that you said. The Sapper-Whorf <laughs> hypothesis, hypothesis says that the language you grow up hearing shapes the way that you think. And right. and and so this is turning that around. It's basically picking up Sapper Wharf and using it, you know, like a tool. It it becomes a transitive verb. We can use this to change things. Yeah. Although I um when I'm working with people about changing their approach to life, I, I'm really cautious about changing your language as a way of changing your mind. Unless you're really clear that that's what you're doing, people can get misguided. So nonviolent communication is a is taught both as a methodology and as a way of changing your own heart and the way you interact with the world. And when it's a methodology, it puts walls between people. Mm-hmm. It tells you this is how you should phrase everything you say. And then you sound like a robot and everybody you love is pissed off at you. But if you change what's going on inside you and then talk normally, it doesn't work that way. So that's one example. Another one is like the use of I statements, quote unquote. I mm-hmm. statements can mean you're actually talking about your own experience or they can mean you're phrasing all your accusations and judgments of other people in terms of an I statement. Mm-hmm. Like, I really think you're a... Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. that's not really an I statement. So 
it's not really enough to change your language is what I'm saying. It's very mm-hmm. risky to lean on that as a way of Im- improving your connections with other people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what was the second one was using changing language as a methodology. And you said that that was double plus on good. What was the changing your language that was a good way? If you use it as a clue for what's going on in your heart. Mm-hmm. So E prime for me, for example, if I'm thinking about E prime and I hear myself start to say something and I go, oh, wow, that was that was me using an is. What's that about? And then I notice that it's about mm-hmm. me making a judgment about the world. That's useful information for me. If I just learn to like couch everything I say in terms of, you know, if I learn tricks to get around the language rules, mm-hmm. then I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not actually. Uh, so, so what you're saying is don't game the system. Yeah, but it's the automatic thing to do if people make it about language. Yeah. The, the idea yeah. that I'm getting from this is that. Um, you can use your language to kind of fuel a retrospective on yourself, so to speak, so that you're you're looking at the way that you are and realizing where your shortcomings are so that you can do better, be better, be a better person and, and therefore, you know, put more good out into the world. I think I think to tie it directly into programming, I mean, we talk a lot about on the roads how, you know, code's first purpose is to communicate with the reader, right? Well, similarly, you can manipulate your language to communicate your internal states, right? So mm-hmm. it's kind of the way I take it. Are you guys it's, familiar with nonviolent communication, NVC? No, I had to look it up when you used it in an email. <laughs> So it's often taught as a as a way to modify your language in order to supposedly increase connection with other people. Okay, I'll just be bold and say it doesn't work that way. It only works if it's a way to discover more about who you are and where you're coming from and learn to own that stuff and not uh, not try to put it out into the world. I just read something uh, this morning about how uh, the the involuntary muscles in your face that communicate emotions. They're involuntary. You, you really can't control them. And they were talking about dealing with body language. And and, and really, the, the advice was, you got to change what's in your heart about what you're communicating. Otherwise, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're, you're just going to give yourself away all the time. And people are actually pretty good at picking up on all of those nonverbal cues. You know what's really cool about this? It all ties right back into Agile. I was just thinking how weird it is that we got off on this topic. But so IT has this long tradition of trying to come up with sort of fake information to make us all feel better, right? We we try to create statistics and like measurements that will impress people and get funding and, you know, keep people off our backs until late in the game. And with Agile, we're, you know, supposed to be trying to be honest about things all along, right? And really visible. We try to be... Um, really public with all the information that we have so that we can figure out what's really going on. Right. And this stuff, this stuff about how you're communicating regardless. And so work on what's in your heart. If you want people to think that you're nice or that you love them, you need to work on that inside because the information is out there, right? You can't fake it. There's a kind of vulnerability on a personal level that you might as well embrace it and iteratively improve in the way you want to improve because you cannot fake it. It's not possible. Was it was it George Burns who said uh, sincerity is everything? If you can fake that, you've got it made. You got everything. <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> like, I, yeah. I was just saying, I just finished uh, reading about the concept of the Duchesne smile. Have you heard about this, Josh? No. This this, this ties into the the microfacial communication. Uh, a Duchesne smile, and it's named after the, its discoverer, Mister Duchesne, um, who found that when people smile authentically, the corners of their eyes crinkle. And when people smile that are faking it, um, they call that the Pan-American smile, um, be named after the way stewardesses smile at the people that they loathe that are getting on and off of the Pan-American flight. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And it's really incredibly relevant because um, they went to a, through a high school yearbook from like 60, 70 years ago and they found they just they concentrated just on women who were smiling and they found which ones are Duchesne smilers and which one are Pan American smilers. And the Duchesne smilers um, lived 19 percent longer on average than the Pan American smilers. And it, it, this is from Authentic Happiness by Mar Martin Seligman, uh, which hint hint is going to be my pick at the end of the show. Um, because it, because it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And it, it, it all, it all ties back to Angela, your comment about nonviolent communication. I think, I think the secret to nonviolent communication is to become nonviolent. And <laughs> I don't think, and I don't think there's any other way around it. Yeah. And it's hard if, and it takes a long time. Yeah. I'm wondering if Duchesne's is the same guy Duchesne's disease is named after. Sorry. Sidetracked. I bet he was really unhappy when he found that out and like, like frowned all the time. <laughs> and the editor, crinkled, that joke sucked. <laughs> crinkled the so, sides uh, of his eyes when he, uh, when he frowned. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's early advanced at crow's, uh, crow's feet, uh, disorder. Yeah. That's hilarious. So, so Angela, you've been given a bunch of talks on pair programming. I saw one at uh, Ruby Midwest, and I know you did it again at uh, Mountain West RubyConf recently. So pair programming is about communication, right? Yeah, and uh, actually Tech Week in Chicago in June and San Francisco Agile in June, for the record. <laughs> you'll, you'll be giving the same talk there? I'll be giving a, a talk there. I don't know if it'll be the same talk. It wasn't the same talk at Mountain West that it was at uh, Midwest Ruby, for sure. Because gotcha. Brady fucked it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, that. I did. I did. I, uh, Angela, I don't think you can give that talk enough, uh, honestly. It, that I, I thought I knew pair programming pretty freaking well, and you schooled me so freaking hard. It is, it's like I've totally rediscovered pair programming since then. I absolutely love you, and I'm grateful for that talk. That was freaking amazing. Yeah. I, and if, so and if, what, what's some of the gist of the talk? Well, let's see. Okay, so the way that I'll tell you how David screwed it up. Um, he got up there like the second talk of the conference, talking about love and mushy <laughs> crap, and like <laughs> you have to be come from your heart. And I'm just like, oh, damn it. So I, you know, I write this talk, <laughs> and I've got it all organized and uh, you know outlined because that's how you do talks, right? And so I have all this what he calls you know left brain stuff about here's how you pair program and here's you know what matters and here's how you fix these problems and step one, two, three, right? But the real thing is about, um, it's really about what, let's see, what's the phrase I used? Confident humility. It's about knowing that you belong in the world and being willing to take your place and connect with the other person and having the courage to say, I don't know what's going on. And so we need to do this again or figure it out or talk about it. Courage to grab the keyboard when that's the loving thing to do and the courage to give it up when that's the loving thing to do. And those are the things that make the real difference. You know, that in the end, it's it's about taking, you know, the people, what I said to the audience was, if you're one of the people who loves pair programming or cares about it, wants it to happen, whether you're a junior or a senior or whatever, it's your job to take the lead in teaching the other person how to collaborate. Mm -hmm. Because collaboration, you know, it's a beautiful thing, but most people don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if, if I give it right, the gist of the talk is it's in your hands to teach the other person to collaborate and to make the world better by doing that. It, I, I love the talk too. That that was great. That, that you know, I, I worked at Pivotal for years, and we pair programmed all the time. And all the pivots who'd been there a long time, you ask them what's the most important thing to pair successfully, and it, it was uncanny how many people would say, "Oh, you got to get your ego in check." Yeah, for sure. That there was a lot uh, that came out in Angela's talk too that was really about that. Was just 
you know, you, you have to have this empathy for the person you're working with. You, you have to care. You know, you can't just sit there and say, okay, well, you know, my brain and your brain, but it, it really is about, okay, you know, I, I'm going to act in your best interest and you're going to act in my best interest and it's going to be this benevolent collaboration. So it's not about being right or, you know, whatever, or getting credit. It's really about making it a full on collaboration where you're actually, it's, it's really hard for me to, to boil down what I learned because um, I, I guess I internalized it to, to a certain point where I can't articulate it, but really where, where you have those, those kind feelings toward each other. And really it's about, um, doing the best for each other as well as for the project. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that well or not, but I, th- I think you are Chuck. It, Angela's complaint that I screwed up her talk is that she went back and basically unstripped all the context back into it. And, uh, I, I, I love that. The, the most challenging thing from her talk for me is that if you're the junior programmer and you're feeling like you're having a bad time with the pairing, you have to have the courage to turn to the senior and say, give me the keyboard because I need to teach you how to be a better collaborator. And the really toughest part for me was as a, as a senior, I zone out all the time. And she pops up this slide, what happens if your pair is zoning out? And, or, or no, she said, what happens? What happens if you're zoning out? And I have always just assumed that it's because, you know, I have ADHD. I, I zone out all the time, you know. I zone out when I'm not medicated enough. And she basically says, no, you zone out when you're lost and you don't have the guts to tell your partner, I'm lost. And especially if you're the senior partner, if you're the guy who knows what's going on and you've become detached with what's going on, it's really freaking hard. I'm going to stop saying you. When I get lost, it's, <laughs> it's really freaking hard for me to look at somebody who is my junior um, or even even worse, a client who is paying me three figures, three dollars, three or yeah, three dollars an hour, three figures, <laughs> an, three figures an hour to be the smart guy in the room. It's really hard for me to turn to them and say, you know, the smartest thing I can say to you right now is I don't have a clue what you're doing. <laughs> and, so I keep hearing echoes of of mindfulness, uh, like like mindfulness mm-hmm. pra- practices here uh, in this whole conversation, and I'm I'm curious. Angela, do you do you find inspiration in, in like some of the, the mindfulness uh, or, or Zen literature for any of this? <laughs> Is that a trick question? Do you know this? No, I, I have no I honestly have no idea. I, I had no idea it, that it, E Prime was a big th- a big thing in, in Agile either. So <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, I'll say yes. How bad. I spent a long time going to a, a Zendo, a uh, Zen temple every day hmm, okay. uh, until life changed and I started doing other things. But yeah, it's a it's a huge part of how my life changed and I became able to figure this crap out. Guys, can I just say this call has gone to a really weird and wonderful place? <laughs> this is this is not what we started talking about. And I am absolutely in love with where we've gone. Yeah, I'm actually going to change the title from Agile Development to Agile Communication. Because I, I just yes oh, yes <laughs> just because I yeah. think but but at the same time I mean it this is uh, an area that isn't often explored in programming and and I think it I think there are a lot of benefits that we can get from from things like this where you really think about because because most of the time when we're talking about programming we're talking about the code we're talking about how we can do this or how we can do this better and and all of this stuff but here we're actually talking about the coder or the pair that's coding. You know, we're talking about the people and it's it's something that we like I said, we people don't really over process. What was that? People over process. Yeah. yeah. But it, and it, more importantly, ourselves. We're talking we're not talking about the people. 
We're talking about right. ourselves. Yeah. But but at the same time, I mean, there's there's so much value because if you can change the coder, then you implicitly and inherently change the code. And, and there's yeah. so much power in that um, just because you're changing the origination point of, of everything that we talk about normally on this show. So that reminds me about something about collaboration that I that I like to say and I want to say, and that is that people somehow people have the idea that when you're collaborating with somebody, Everybody puts their ideas out and then you figure out which one's the best one and you pick it and it wins. But the thing about collaboration is it's, you know, it's different from cooperation or, you know, that sort of calculus. It's more that you put ideas out and they change, right? They, if you put your idea out and it's, and you have an openness about it and you're not clinging to your idea as needing to be the right one, all the ideas change and, and, um, you know, they improve from the actual interaction that you have. So you end up with something that's totally different from anything that anybody started with. That pair programming when it's, you know, two people taking turns writing the code is totally different from when two people are getting together and producing code that neither one of them could have made on their own. Yeah. Yeah. And and I've seen that pairing with Dave in particular. Of course, he's the person I, that I've probably paired with the most. And uh, there are there have been days, Chuck, when you and I have gotten to the end of a, a long, grueling day of pair program. It was something it was just, it was something that took both of our brains and therefore neither brain alone can understand how we got from there to here. And it's weird and magical and kind of freaky and fun and kind of like this call. <laughs> yeah, that, well, there was one thing that you said in the talk, Angela, at, at Mountain West that I, I loved and I, I wrote it down was uh you know, if you're working on your own, the best you can come up with is the best you can do. That's cool. The, you know, it's, you know when you start when you start collaborating, you get to do more than what you can do on your on your own, which is, you know, I guess, the whole point. Yeah. As an aside, I want to mention that the fact that I gave a talk is really weird to me, and the fact that somebody wrote down something I said is really, really weird to me. <laughs> and, and I tw and I tweeted it to thousands of people. That is just crazy. <laughs> But yeah, that's that's totally so pretty uh, much. If you're wrong about that, it's for you. Put it on your permanent record. Uh, I like my mistakes to be big and visible, so they can be improved on. Mm -hmm. uh, nuclear engineering is probably not for you. So, so Avdi said uh, people over process, and the I think that's worth uh, saying just a little bit more about. I I look at the 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 heavyweight processes that you know many of us have worked with over the years that it's really about controlling people to manage their limitations and say okay you know if we could have these perfect programmers we could just let them loose and we wouldn't need a process but people suck so we're going to create this process to mitigate the damage anybody can do on their own or to <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, that seems like it what it is in a lot of cases and but that the 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 agile practice that I been involved with is really about improving the programmers, improving the way that programmers can work uh, so that you don't need all this process to prop up people who you assume are going to mess up if you don't you know, watch them like a hawk. Yeah, I, th I think we've, we've all been in those situations and I think we've probably all been in the situation where the heavy process had agile scrawled across the top. <laughs> But uh, yeah, well, that's something I'm curious about. Yeah, is is I mean, here we are in 2012. And for a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of people that are, are younger in the industry, um, agile is is, you know, agile is the establishment that they it's the man. Yeah, it's the man. Exactly. And um, and and I see a lot of of complaints about agile that are very similar to the complaints that were about, you know, you know, are you uh, rational unified or, or whatever heavyweight process from before? 
Um, and I think some of them may be unwarranted, but some of them are maybe a little more warranted because of the way Agile has sort of been been used almost as a bludgeon. Um, what is the best thing that I can do, um, you know, that any of us can do to, you know, to, to gently bring Agile ba- back to to its roots or to help people understand it better or, you know, just generally sort of get out of this kind of combative, you know, Agile is is trying to control my life with stupid practices um, uh, idea. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up. Um, it's, it, I have wondered this about, okay, I'm gonna get controversial. Just ignore me if you don't like it, but I've wondered this about Christianity and, um, Buddhism and lots of other things that, um, have been ways that I could discover how to be open and connected with people and have all kinds of beautiful things emerge. And also I've seen used as a bludgeon, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, um, Josh, that tweet is a little distracting. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> don't read twitter um, during the call <laughs> i didn't mean to. it's the mind killer <laughs> learn from my Sorry mistakes angela learn so we want to have everything worked out and the state of being open to whatever happens in uh okay so there's a buddhist teacher whose name is pema shodron i don't know if i'm pronouncing it right but um, she talks about sitting in this groundless place where you're open to whatever happens. You're embracing reality. And um, being in that place is really difficult. It's, it's, it's not solid. And it, it doesn't give you something to cling to. And people want to cling to something, right? So we, we take this beautiful message and then we try to, like, make it into something that's a set of rules that you can follow without thinking, right? Or that mm-hmm. you can bludgeon people into following and it doesn't work. So I guess my answer to the question about what you can do is to stay vulnerable and to stay present with your own heart all the time, even though you're being asked to make things rigid and asked to create structures and things that you can, you know, avoid connecting with people because you have this nice wall of charts and stuff in between you. Like you just make the decision to stay present all the time, even when it hurts. That's what I think you can do to make it make a difference. So can hmm. I follow up on that a little bit? Um, Abdi, you talked about Agile being, uh, I call it capital A A and lowercase a Agile, where Agile is, capital A Agile is like the religion, it's the racket that got started as a result of lowercase a, which is more like the spirituality of it. And uh, I think if you strip away all the context of Agile um, and reduce it to little rules, you get capital A Agile. But if uh, if you keep the context... Um, then you have to stay human. You have to stay enmeshed in it. And I'm, I'm realizing that, yeah, a lot of people, once you strip away the context, Agile stops working. And that's the problem with it. And the really frustrating thing is, and, and I, I don't want to invoke the wrath of Uncle Bob, but I'm seeing a lot of people that are going to the software craftsmanship and the clean code movement, not because they want to embrace context again, but because this set of contextless rules didn't work. I want an all new set of contextless rules. And so I think what Angela said of, of staying present in the moment yeah, it, it, for me, lowercase a agile suddenly just became instead of embracing change, embrace context. Mm-hmm. I want to know which development tool is going to empower me with that kind of communication. It's human brain. <laughs> 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 should should I a, be using Should I be using Ruby Mine or Emacs? It's a Microsoft <laughs> product. <laughs> Visual Studio. <laughs> uh, what if we all died and went to heaven and found out that Visual Source Safe was the one true source control editor? <laughs> Glad I'm not going to heaven. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, that just reminds like me of that South Park episode where South they all Park, get there. Yep. Yeah, it was turns the out it was, it was, it was Mormons. Oh. <laughs> turns out it was Microsoft SharePoint. Oh. So I'm gonna I'm gonna purposefully try to steer the conversation in a different direction because. I know something else about Angela that's that's kind of neat. So no, um, don't say that. Don't tell him that. <laughs> yeah, we only have so, a few minutes till pick. So okay, I'll, I'll try to be quickish. So a- Angela, you're an unschooler, right? Uh, yes, I am. Can you tell people what that means? Well, okay, it's only it only has a name because everybody assumes that school is how things work. So um, if you can imagine that school isn't how things work, then that's what we're like. <laughs> that's a good description. Um, Okay, why don't you wave your hand at it a little bit more, and maybe I'll still not get it. (laughs) Okay, so here's a really easy way to tell you. So we don't do any schooling, unless a kid, you know, at some age decides they want to try some schooling, and then they do. I can tell you that my kids learn to read. There are four of them, right? Um, One of them began reading at three, which I think I also did, according to the stories. One of them started reading around five. One of them started reading more like it, well, was actually able to read probably at 10. And another one didn't read for pleasure until he was about 14. And he is diagnosed with dyslexia. But none of these kids were taught to read. Well, okay, that's not true. The 14, the one who read at 14 actually spent a couple years in school because he's my stepson and I wasn't there. But um, none of the ones that learned to read earlier than that were ever taught to read in any way. The same way they weren't taught to speak or walk. Now, by taught, though, you, you what you mean is like, what we view in school as as deliberate instruction, basically. Right. If if you don't teach kids to read, they won't learn how. That theory, yeah, they were not taught to okay, read. Okay, so so I'm going to ask a serious question, and it's going to sound like a smart aleck question, but this is a serious question. Um, how do you learn rocket science that way? Oh, awesome. So my mm-hmm. oldest kid is... It's uh, a, it's a, yeah, it's a serious question. <laughs> yes, and I have a serious answer. I know. My oldest kid is uh, researching AI, okay? He taught himself, I guess, let's see, he took some sort of trigonometry at a community college or something. After that, he's taught himself calculus, and then he's taught himself math that I don't even know the names of. So <laughs> if you want to know about category theory, you could ask him, and if he doesn't know, he'll look it up, and then he'll tell you. And um, he's taken, like right now, he's taking six of the Stanford classes, <laughs> After doing very well last quarter or last semester, whatever. Um, and he's, you know, he's he's brilliant. He learns whatever he wants. These kids are completely free to learn whatever interests them. So one of them is a political philosopher who is, you know, really obsessed with political philosophy and will talk your ear off. Another one is an artist. Oh, the political philosopher is also a musician. The other one is an artist. Uh, and, the, and then there's the AI researcher. So I... I- I actually brought this up, um, you know, obviously there's lots of ways to do schooling and, and stuff, but I, I was wondering if you could tell us if you think that does relate to programming in some way. You know, we didn't talk about TDD and how emergence is uh, an amazing thing in the universe that gives us stuff that we couldn't create otherwise, but one of my picks will address that. Um but I will say, you know, it's it's a way of remaining open to the world. Like instead of being boxed into studying what they're told to study and having to switch contexts whenever they're told to, they get to think about what they want to think about and explore and question. And, you know, that's what that's what good programmers do. I don't know what else it has to do with programming, except that um, what would it have been like in high school if you could code all day long? So would that uh, not have been amazing? Well, actually, I did do that in high school, but it just means I would have spent less time in the principal's office. <laughs> right. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, you you have all these people that do go to school. I mean, they they you know they go, they get their uh, high school and then the college education. They graduate. They go get a job somewhere. They figure out that they hate what they studied. 
and they wind up in something else. And, uh, you know, it, it is, it, it's really interesting that, you know, instead of, you know, kind of going that route where you have a degree in English and you wind up being an IT professional, um, <laughs> if, if you could just kind of explore where, where you were at and who you were and figure that out and then, you know, just, just learn to excel in that area. I, I don't think that this is so far fetched in that sense because there are so many people that wind up doing something that they they didn't think you know was was suited to them due to the education or due to the expectations they that people had for their education yeah so and, just and just uh available to like right now there's no reason someone can't self-educate right we have the internet we yeah yeah it's easier than ever before just as a data point um check what you just described as as a, a possible ideal that's basically me um mm -hmm. i was essentially unschooled um uh, there were some chunks of my of my upbringing where where there was a little bit more structure, but um, but yeah, it was largely uh, for large uh, portions of it uh, unschooled, and I basically kind of chose my own path and found something some things that I loved. Mm -hmm. Well, one thing so, that I want to point out too is that I have a I have a bachelor's degree in computer engineering, which you would think, oh, gee, that's that's related. But really what it did is it provided me an anti-pattern to software engineering. And so when I graduated, I was going to be an IT guy. I was going to, you know, manage servers and networks and stuff because I had taken a bunch of computer science classes and I, I was just like, well, I, I don't want to build these toy programs. I want to do something else, something that has meaning. And it wasn't until I was out in the professional world and had to have a tool that my boss wouldn't buy for the department I was running that I started to program it because I could. And, you know, and that's what changed my mind was all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is kind of cool and it actually matters. And, uh, you know, I, I think there were definitely some valuable things I learned as a part of my education, both in high school and in college. And I got certain opportunities because I was in those places. But, you know, ultimately, you know, I don't think that they really drive you toward that level of exploration. And, and I think that's kind of a sad thing because the the opportunities that a university or high school could really offer would be terrific if they were geared a little bit more toward okay let's you know let's let's let you explore and figure out what you know what makes you tick yeah and the other reason i brought it up is is like you know if you're one of those programmers who went and got your bachelor's degree and and you assume they loaded your brain with what you needed to know and then you just went forward in your career, you know, with that, then, then probably you don't get it. Right. So, Whereas yeah. those of us that, you know, are, are into it and, you know, like, we're like, Oh, I'll take this weekend and figure out, uh, asynchronous communication between processes or, you know, things like that, you know, that, that, that process of how we learn new things, you know, new languages, right? If you, if you stay with the languages you learned in school, then you'd be writing all your programs in C and Java, unless you went to a pretty, pretty good school, you know, Pascal, maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> but, but, uh, you know, that's not really the way programming works, right? It grows and changes. It's kind of a living organism. Everybody's obsessed with Ajax and we have to learn that and adapt that and how we do. And now, now it's all front end JavaScript development, right? Yeah, now we have, have to be a, a lifelong learner to, to be happy here, right? Yeah. And if you right. don't believe this, get out of academia and go get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that's blowing my mind just absolutely completely out of my skull here is that this is BDuff versus Agile written into the educational spectrum B that uh, big design up front. Yeah. Waterfall. yeah B, B, B Duff is big design up front or waterfall development. Chuck, you got a B Duff education. You got a waterfall education. You, it's oh, they, very formalist. They, they mentioned agile once one? or twice. They mentioned
your dad well, once or twice. You, well, the education <laughs> itself was was beat up in that year one of your yeah, education. Yeah, but they were talking about the cheerleaders, Jeff. That's why it was so interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, the the point is is that each it completely reset me. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> Sorry. The point is is that at year one of your education, we could prove to some governmental standard that you had gotten the proper first year of your education, and then your second year was the proper second year of education. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the reset, and it's just like designing a program formalistically bottom up. You can prove at every step of the way that you are building a logically sound, pr- correct, provable program. But when you're done, you've discovered you've built the wrong program, or in your case, you, you finished with your education and you proved that you got the wrong education. Mm-hmm. And it's not until you went out and said, "Hey, we're going to do this agile. We're going to learn. We're going to we're going to embrace what's out there." That you start building what's right. Yeah, it seems like a lot of those processes <laughs> are there to um, protect people from having to be ac- accountable or responsible for failure, not to create success. Yeah. Well, okay. So the thing is. The world is really complex, and and this is – are we at picks? Because this is about my pick, sort of. We, we um, are at picks, so if you want to just make the transition, that's fine. The yeah. world is really complex, and it's at a place where we can't do things by designing up front. We don't know enough, and we can't know enough. The only way we can do things is by following practices that allow uh, emergence to work to our benefit, right? Mm-hmm. That's what TDD is about. That's what, like, Agile is about. That's what the way I educate my children is about. It's about – following like looking for the brightest path and following it and seeing where it leads and it changes over time but when i try to plan in advance i'm always wrong i always miss something mm-hmm. that's so and, and to be just a little bit more esoteric i'll say that i uh my practice is to try to sense whatever seems to me to be the most loving thing to do in each individual moment and then to go that way and see what happens and sometimes weird stuff happens but it always ends up being the right thing to have done Mm-hmm. Nice. Hope that wasn't too unconnected. <laughs> so my first pick is a TED talk called "The God Complex." Actually, I'm going to Google it because it's not exactly called that. It's called "Trial and Error in the God Complex." So mm. "Trial, Error, and the God Complex." Tim Harford. It's a TED talk, and it's about uh, what I just said—that we can't figure things out up front. That the way we get really amazing solutions is by, you know, embracing emergence. The other one is Vulnerability, another TED Talk by Brene Brown. She does this TED Talk called The Power of Vulnerability. She's written books about it and stuff. She's a researcher. So she talks about all this mushy mushy stuff with research behind it. Um, And it's a beautiful one. And my last one is Kent Beck's XP book. If you haven't read XP Explained because, you know, you're young and it was a long time ago, really should do it. It's thin and it's beautiful and it will probably make you cry here and there. It's about software development that really works the way, you know, it works in our hearts. (laughs) Yeah, I have some friends out here that are going to disown me now because I said I hadn't read it, so... Uh, I'm told the second edition kind of sucks. The first edition is much better. Um, I haven't read the second edition. I've only read the first one, but it was beautiful. Cool. I'll go get a used copy then. Um... Avdi, what are your picks? All right. Um, let's see. My first pick this week is having an assistant. Uh, I wrote a blog post about that this week and uh, in which I talked about um, just how I discovered that I really needed a, uh, an assistant, a part-time assistant, and how I went about finding one and, uh, and some of the, the things that, that she's helped me with and, uh, and, and how that's freed up um, uh, a fair amount of time for me, uh, and been really worthwhile. So, um, it's something that, that, uh, you don't always think about, um, as, as a programmer, you know, you think of that as something that, you know, executives have, um, but depending on, you know, what your life looks like, it can actually be, um, really worthwhile. 
How did you find your assistant? I'm just curious. Is it through a, a firm or did you go find someone on Odesk or what? I did use Odesk. Um, I'd had some good luck with Odesk in the past. And uh, and also, I just personally, I really wanted to form uh, an individual relationship with someone uh, that wasn't just like I have a relationship with this agency and different people from the agency help me out. Um, I wanted, you know, an ongoing relationship with someone that could learn my business and, uh, you know, and really support it. Um, yeah, I'm with so, you there. I, I have someone assigned from an agency and have kind of gotten the same thing. But if he ever quits or they ever try to assign me to anyone else, I will probably leave the agency and do what you did. Right. Yeah. And also, you know, from a practical perspective, it does cut out the middleman. Yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, another pick, a TV pick. We've been watching Stephen Fry's America. And it's just a wonderful documentary series. It's, you know, Stephen Fry, the the English actor. And I don't know what all he does. Uh, but, uh, writer, I guess he basically tours the 50 states and, uh, and visits a lot of interesting places. And, and it's, it's one of those things that really shows off the, the fact that, that sometimes the best way to get to know the place, uh, that you live is to see it through a foreigner's eyes. And, uh, it, it's just a really well done series. And finally, uh, this, this kind of popped into my head during this call, uh, we talked about E-Prime a little bit, uh, made me think about Alfred Korzybski, who is just an interesting person to look into. He was an engineer in, I think, the, the 1930s, who um, more or less reasoned his way into Zen Buddhism completely independently, is, is one way of putting it. Um, but uh, he doesn't get a lot of credit these days, but he actually introduced a lot of ideas that we toss around. Like he invented the uh, the phrase... Uh, the map is not the territory. Um, and uh, he's just if if you look into some of his work, uh, there's some a lot of interesting food for thought there. All right, cool. Uh, David, what are your picks? Uh, I just have one today, and that's uh, a book called Authentic Happiness by Martin Seligman. And uh, all I really have to say about this is that uh, the amount of happiness that we experience in life uh, is not entirely under our control. There's some genetic predispositions there's some psychological or psychi- psychiatric boundaries. But the psychological uh, approach or amount of control we have over it is absolutely staggering. And uh, he's the he's the guy who wrote Learned Optimism, which I, I think is a, a, a required reading for anybody. And what I'm really, really enjoying as I read through this is that he talks about uh, the kind of happiness that you get from taking a shortcut um, is uh, it's, it's not really happiness. It's like momentary pleasure. But the happiness that you get uh, by basically earning it through whatever whatever mechanism is he refers to that as gratification. And so he makes some some really interesting recommendations on how to basically earn your happiness and happiness that you have earned is happiness that stays with you and feels, uh, for lack of a better term, authentic. And um, the whole book talks about various ways uh, to go about increasing just the general level of happiness that you have. And as I mentioned earlier in the call. Um, the, you know, why would you want to do that? Okay. First of all, if I have to explain to you why you want to be happy, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I can help you. Um, but if you really must have a completely removed from context and isolated data point, um, you'll live 20% longer. Um, and here's the, the big secret is the secret to happiness is that you can't remove things from their context. You, in order to have authentic happiness, you have to keep things in context. Cool. All right, James, what are your picks? 
Yeah, I just have a couple of really quick ones this time. I, um, I'm i always looking for things to listen to while I program and stuff, and I think I've made a lot of picks about that in the past. It, depending on what I'm doing, you know, if I'm doing something really complicated while programming, then I need to listen to something that, that uh, you know, doesn't have words or talk to me really uh, very much because then I can't concentrate. Um, so I, I tried some new links. I think they were posted by Aiden on Twitter uh, this week to some podcasts by some DJs. Um, and they just do like electronic music. I didn't even know I liked electronic music, but it turns out I kind of do for programming. So, uh, it's pretty neat stuff. So, um, if you want to try, uh, just these, the cool thing about podcasts, right, is if you listen to the same CD over and over again, then it kind of loses some of its appeal. So these, you know, podcasters like 200 episodes, you know, in these guys and they're like an hour, 40, 45 minutes to an hour each. So, you know, you, just tons of great music that, that varies over time. So anyways, the, the Gareth Emery podcast is the one I've been liking the most. Uh, and then there's also uh, Tiesto Club Life, uh, both kind of pretty similar stuff. So check those out if you're looking for something to listen to while you program. Cool, Josh. What are your picks? Nice, nice. So, so James, I, I, I have a I have a, a build on on your music pick. The uh, if you like electronic music, I'll recommend a classic to you, and that's Jean-Michel Jarre. He's a French musician, and uh, he had some albums out in the 80, 80s that were. Um, you know, like magnetic fields and oxygen were some of my favorites, and he's he's great to program too. Sweet, I'll go looking for those. Yeah. Um, okay, so I guess that was my first pick. The, um, uh, next, uh, let's see. I've talked about Rock Health a bit lately in a couple of my picks, and I have a new pick for them, which is that they just opened. They just announced a new program that they're doing in Boston, Massachusetts, this summer. So if you're somebody who wants to do a health IT related startup company, then uh, check out Rock Health. It's just a three month program. It's not five months like their normal program in San Francisco has been, but it's almost, I, I mean, I think it's going to be great. And it's the same kind of deal where the, you, know, you get a small grant, you get office space to work for three months. I think it's going to be at Harvard. And um, and you get a lot of good uh, help and mentoring and advice from people. So uh, it's uh, rockhealth.com slash Boston is how to sign up. And they I think the San Francisco program, they only picked about three percent of the applicants to be in the program. So uh, there's definitely competition. And the the thing that I will say is put some effort into your into doing a video, you know, you know do like a one to three minute video, just kind of selling your company. Because that makes a huge difference. It's kind of like a Kickstarter campaign. You, you, you know, it all hinges on the video. Uh, okay, so that's that's a uh, that's number one. And number two is uh, sort of an antidote for um, for last week. We were talking about uh, draw something a lot, and and I one of the things I loved about draw something was uh, I got to practice my drawing, which is something that I've wanted to be doing lately because I'm insanely jealous of people who can draw. And it turns out there are a lot of really good pe good artists in the Ruby community, like um, you know Mike Moore and Jim Wyrick. You know people, you know people, awesome at, at drawing. Uh, so I've been using paper on the iPad for the last week, and this is from a company called Fifty Three, and it's it's an astoundingly good drawing program on the iPad and. I, I'm really looking forward to them wrapping a real application around this really cool drawing core that they have uh, because it, you know, it needs stuff like copy and paste and you know moving stuff between notebooks and syncing with Dropbox and all that. But their their MVP that they put out is amazingly compelling and I just really like it. 
And I'm, I'm going to be doing a talk at, um, at a conference this summer, and I think I'm probably going to try and draw my slides by hand. Josh, so, can you do me a favor? What? Quit spending my money. Because oh. <laughs> I'm going to go buy that. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the application itself is free, and then you have to pay for the extra uh, drawing implements. So you can get started with it without paying, but you'll end up plunking down eight bucks. So yeah. sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll buy you a cheeseburger next time I see you. Okay, deal. <laughs> okay, okay. You heard it. You heard it here, guys. He owes me a cheeseburger. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay right. that's it for me. All right. So uh, I've, I've got a couple of picks. Um, the first pick, and I think it's been picked on this podcast before, but it's been quite a long time. Um, it's kind of the the backup to my digital audio recorder because. When I record on my digital audio recorder, I record it in full uh, wave format, so it's totally lossless, and that's what I give to my VA to edit things. But uh, I've forgotten to clear it off a couple of times, and so what I wind up doing now is I actually turn on Ecamm Call Recorder, and I record it both on my computer and on the uh, Edderall recorder, uh, just to make sure that I, I have a copy in case something happens. So that's my first pick is Ecamm Call Recorder. It's actually a really cool program if you're doing things like recording interviews and things like that. Um, basically, it'll do video in the whole nine yards. So if, if you're doing like a, a two-way video call on Skype, which you can do for free, if you have more than that, you have to pay for the, the multi-person conference video call deal. But um, with Ecamm Call Recorder, it'll, it'll record both sides. It, it'll put the picture side by side so that you can... You see the two people interacting, and it's it's really cool. So that's one program that I, I really like. Um, one other program. Did I pick Scrivener last week? Yes, you oh. did. Yep. Yeah, okay. So one other pick that I have is uh, Balsamic Mockups. And uh, I've been... I've had it for a while, but uh, I had a client that was using it recently, and it's just a really nice uh, program for, for figuring out your layout and stuff. The thing that I really like about it is it's low fidelity, so it looks, you know, all the elements look like they're hand-drawn, and the nice thing about that is that nobody's going to get confused and think, oh, this is the real app. I've had people uh, do something similar with Keynote or Photoshop where they actually have, like, high-fidelity designs and you know when you click through on the powerpoint it'll take you to the the correct slide and uh, they've had clients get confused like they had already finished the application and so then they have to explain no this is just a mock-up and so it's mm -hmm. nice when it's low fidelity because it's like look this is how it's going to work but this is clearly not how it's going to look and so um, there's no confusion this is a mock-up this is just a proof of concept it's just something we can show you so that you get an idea of how this is going to work and, uh, you know, I, I think it's terrific for that. And it's nice because you can just drag and drop elements. You can, um, set up menus in the whole nine yards and, and make it look the way you want. And then from there you can hand it off to a designer or something who can actually make it look pretty. So, uh, those are my picks and, uh, we'll go ahead and, uh, just wrap this up. Um, thanks again for coming, Angela. This was, this has been a really, really terrific episode. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thanks, Angela. It was a lot of fun. Thanks. Um, Thanks very much. Just want to remind you all, we are in iTunes. We, we've we had 90-something reviews, and I just really, really appreciate everybody who's gone in and left us a review. Um, we have been in the, in the technology what's hot section on iTunes for a while now, and that is totally because you people are going out there. You're telling people about the podcast, and you are leaving us those kinds of reviews and ratings. And uh, so we really couldn't do this without you. And I really, really appreciate that. So uh, I just want to thank you all. 
and uh you know make sure you come out and see us at uh at RailsConf and uh, yeah wait uh should we announce that we got moved to one of the plenary is that how you say it sessions so like we're no matter which track you're in you're gonna see us so. yep whoa that's awesome <laughs> yeah that's cool. awesome yeah, we, we get oh, to talk to all however many hundred or thousand people are there. So it's going to be really fun, and, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, yeah, keep an eye out for us. And uh, if you're at RailsConf and you see one of us, you know, going down the hall or something, just stop us and say hi. Let us know what you think of the show because we, we really appreciate it. And for me, at least, um, one of the big reasons I do this is because I love interacting with you guys. And so uh, and I think most most everybody else on the show, you know, feels the same way. So we, we love meeting uh, the, the listeners and, and, you know, finding out what you're up to and, and you know, how we've, we've influenced you or helped you and, and what you want to hear about. So, you know, if you have any feedback or anything, just let us know. Well, one more announcement, Chuck. Can you do the next book? Oh, yes. I forgot. The next book is, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> I have to go look at the website again. Uh, uh, working with Unix Processes. Working with right? Unix Processes. That, by Jesse Storimer. Yeah. Jesse I'm pronouncing Storm. his name right. Yep, and uh, he is. I think he said he was going to get us a discount code. So anyway, we'll we'll put a link up in the show notes, and as soon as we know anything more about discount codes, we'll have that in the show notes as well. So we'll be discussing it like late May, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah we. It's we have, really it's a really quick read. I went through it in about three and a half hours, maybe. Nice. We we haven't set the exact date, but yeah, it's going to be toward the end of May. So with that, we'll we'll wrap this up, and thank you again for listening. Thanks, everybody.